0: This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guests this week are Alex Wilcox and Felix Conran, the father and son team behind the direct-to-consumer furniture brand Maker & Son. Founded in the UK in 2018, the company has grown quickly with an unorthodox approach Its core product is a pillowy sofa that can retail for over $10,000. And rather than brick-and-mortar showrooms, Maker & Son relies on a fleet of decorated vans that will visit potential customers in person. I spoke with Felix and Alex about whether sustainability and the value of craftsmanship are finally connecting with consumers, their unique approach to marketing, and how they're using a surprisingly sophisticated tech operation to make data-driven decisions in an old-school industry. This podcast is sponsored by High Point Market. If you go to High Point Market a lot, and I certainly do, you hear one thing over and over. It's about much more than just seeing new product. High Point is where you make the connections that will take your business to the next level. And it's no wonder. High Point is where all the leaders in the home industry meet, twice each year. Come for the products, come back for the people. This spring, market is April 2nd through the 6th. Get your pass today at highpointmarket.org. This podcast is also sponsored by Modern Matter, the producer of Statement Making Decorative and Kitchen Hardware. Handcrafted using solid brass and hand-polished gemstones, Modern Matter has over 500 knobs, pulls, and backplates in stock and ready to be delivered to your doorstep within 24 to 72 hours. Browse exclusive collections developed in partnership with leading designers like Michelle Nussbaumer, Eddie Ross, Barry Benson, and Sarah Bartholomew. In mixing and matching metal finishes with semi-precious gemstones and other luxury materials. Visit modern-matter.com to see how the company is redefining hardware. That's modern-matter.com. And now, on with the show. I had the good fortune... Of having one of the Maker and Son mobile showrooms oh, yeah? appear at my home in Bronxville, and not only that, it kindly came with the with the U.S. president of Maker and Son. So that was that was uh, even hey. more impressive. Oh, for, for nice! That Lovely Jim. Yes, and uh, Jim Hardy came for for tea as well. So that was uh, that was nice. But I want to start there and talk about the the mobile showrooms because some companies have a vehicle that they've built a, a brand statement around. But but for you all, this is really the business strategy and, and how you are interacting with, with people all over the world. Yes. Um, so let's talk about it. Tell me the mobile strategy and how it, how it first came to, to life.
1: Yeah, I, the mobile showroom sort of came into existence out of a need, right? So we'd started the business with really very little money and put all the money that we did have into digital advertising. But then we had this sort of crazy idea to what if we put an armchair in the back of the car and we went to go, we drove into London to go and see some customers.
2: And so that's exactly what we did. And every single person that we went to see bought. Yeah.
0: And it was like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> well, so that Alex, that's what i'm that's what I'm wondering about, and I want to talk about that part of it because I'm imagining that your close rate is so much higher. yeah, right? when someone's letting you come visit them in your car or in, yeah. in the US, you've got I don't know if you've got ten sort of sprinter vans. 11, sort of covering, yeah, eleven. eleven. Yeah. Van, 11. Right.
2: But just going going to the origins of it with, yeah, I, I'll never forget on one of the first trips I did in London, and it was at night, and we'd, we'd lit the van quite nicely inside. And I was showing it to a prospective customer, and someone walked past, and they said this really incredible thing. They said, it's like you've opened the doors to a portal to another world.
0: So there's a whole Doctor Who element Well, to it. but
2: Yes, <laughs> but, but just this thing of, like, so many people love the thing when the doors open actually, we are literally bringing a bit of our world to them. You know, we're not just bringing the the armchair. We're bringing a little right. bit, you know, a lot more than that. So, yes, look, they were born in some ways out of necessity. Um, but then very rapidly, they became a, a very key part of how the business has grown. That's not the only way. And now there's over, over 30 of them across the world.
0: What I'm so curious about with the mobile showrooms, and as you say, it's, it's not the only way that, that business is being done, but it is how you are tackling the the us specifically at the moment i know you've got your space in new york that's sort of having a grand refresh in the in the coming weeks Uh and and i want to talk about that as well but i'm fascinated by this model of salespeople going out in a mobile showroom and driving to all of these all of these customers' homes. and it sounds as if you get to the customers' homes and many times they've invited neighbors yes. there are, right It's, it's a, a little house party is suddenly yeah. going on because you arrive and how fun and how great. Yeah it is fun. We've started
2: this new thing actually, where uh, each mobile showroom now has its own Google account. And um people can review the experience that they've had of the mobile showroom visiting. you know you can see this concept, but then actually you can go onto Google and you can see customers that have posted photos and posted reviews of what it's like to, to, for this thing to happen. It, it, it just makes the whole thing more tangible and, and it more makes real. it feel super special and local you know as as
1: we were talking about the the conversations that are able to happen and if those conversations want to progress, then the home is right there and you can take the conversation out of the van and then you can talk about the very real situation of, right, how are we going to redo this room? It's a, it really, really opens that dialogue to be a much more
0: meaningful conversation. Help me understand the economics of it. Yeah. So what expectations have you set in different markets for how often the van is going out? And we were talking earlier about the conversion rate.
2: Yeah, very happy to. I, I think uh, if, if we just talk in rough dollar terms, the average transaction value is $12,000. Wow. So that, that's, that's an average sale. And that, interestingly enough, is pretty much echoed um, dollar for pound and dollar for Australian dollar and dollar for New Zealand dollar. It it seems that across the world, we we seem to get a a pretty similar level of average transaction value. And uh, the most successful at it are, are, amazingly enough, are nearly at 80% conversion rate for every visit that they make and the least least successful are probably in the region of 30%. So the the global average is near to 50% conversion rate. So on that basis, the economics stack up incredibly well. You've got a showroom available, and some days that they're seeing four, five, six, seven people, I think the most is probably about seven visits that they would do on a day. The average is probably three or four. And there are other days where they're not seeing anyone at all. And other days mm. where they can drive for five hours to see someone and it's just one its one visit. And we place no obligation whatsoever on the customer, whether they're gonna buy, it's not about that. And it's, it's a free service. It's totally free, yeah. But, so we don't charge for it. Um, what I can say is that the the time frame from someone seeing to someone buying, about fa- 50% of our sales are made within the first 30 days of the inquiry. And the longest that we have experienced so far is 23 months from the time when we (laughs) we first visited someone to them actually buying because, you know, the renovation was delayed or the house purchase was delayed or what have you. The most extreme we've ever had, which is amazing, is with our Maker and Son Now service, which is where someone can buy essentially from stock and we had an example a few months ago in London where someone had the mobile sharing visit. They decided to go ahead straight away. And three hours later, three hours later, the sofa was in their home. But, the, and this was on a Saturday and they'd, uh, they'd made an inquiry on a Friday night before going
1: to bed. And they booked the booked visit. Saturday morning, someone calls, yeah, Hannah's, Hannah can see you like at 10. And then right. was at, like before two, we had the, the furniture in their home.
2: And the whole thing, I, th- I do think it is extremely important to say that it's not just uh, the mobile showrooms operating in isolation of other key elements of the brand, because so much of the brand starts with the emotional engagement that people have through our online content. And it's something that we invest very heavily in. So we have a team of 15, based in the UK, and that, that includes videographers, photographers, stylists, and obviously editors, producers, uh, the full works. And we're shooting five days a week, and we are producing really great content around uh, a whole series of key things. So we have our brand pillars, and we're making content that reflects those, as well as content that is specifically talking about the product. So. The mobile showroom is the next stage in someone's engagement with the company. And it's very, very important to us that the consistency between what it is that we're um, showing in video form is then matched by what it is that they experience when they get the mobile showroom. You know, that, that it, it needs to be as seamless as, as we can possibly make it. And, you know, I think it's really important to share that not all of this has run smoothly, you know, that it's
0: not without its challenges. Well, so, so tell me about that because I'm, I'm curious about the challenges.
2: I mean, they're, they're, they're endless,
0: they're endless. <laughs> yeah, you know, the,
2: the, the challenges that we have right at the moment uh, include the success of certain parts of what we're doing is so significant that actually getting supply of certain things is a real challenge. I'll give you an example. About two years ago, I, I flew over to Florence to meet with a fabric manufacturer, saw something that I really liked, which was some 100% linen. I said, oh, could you make it even heavier? And we, we end up producing this fabric that is over two pounds per square yard. You know, it's like the most incredible weight, woven entirely for us. and it has become over 70% of our sales. And when you take that across the world, that's a lot of linen, which is a lot of yarn, which is a lot of flax being grown. And the speed, the speed with which our sales have been increasing is faster than the yarn that was available. So, you know, you've got supply issues with raw components, you know, core components. But then you've got manufacturing things, which is uh, you know the sign of the times, obviously, where um, you know manufacturers can't actually keep up with the amount of product that we're wanting to order. So it's not all smooth sailing. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, the, the business in its first year was a million pounds, in its second year was three million pounds, His third year um, was eight, and now is like thirty. You know, mm-hmm. and and so when you when you get that sort of growth. It comes at a cost, you know. It's it's I, I started this off with virtually no grey hairs
0: and quite a lot of hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's been <a> great time. <laughs> it's true. So Felix, have you have you seen a big change in, in in your father over this over this time? Has he has he aged considerably <laughs> 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 in this in this process?
1: <laughs> that would be saying You look great now. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think. I well, think you look great now. That's very kind of you. Yeah.
0: I mean, it, it's a remarkable time to be growing a business as, as rapidly as, as you have been. Did you imagine the mobile showrooms being a bridge to more permanent locations, or do you like this strategy enough that, no, we don't really need the sort of brick and mortar spaces, and, and we like this concept of having our own brand statement roll into to people's driveways in this way?
1: The reality is that the mobile showroom is not going to be great for selling lighting when we're doing lighting or coffee tables or any number of other things but it is great for selling the product that we started with and for that reason we will always have it right so the mobile showroom is is here to stay but what it won't be is a coverall this is how macron sun do sales so it is for us as much about the wonderful experience of that as it is to look looking to other areas within the home and other products that we're going to start to sell and thinking with the same backbone to what exists in the mobile show. How can we do this differently? How can we do this in a disruptive manner? How can we do something
2: that becomes a customer expectation in not a very long time? Yeah. And I think that's a very, very key thing. We have tried our best to be as customer-centric as we possibly can. You know, we've, we've talked about the Mobile moment We talked a tiny bit about Maker and the Sun Mail, And, you know, that in the last 12 to 18 months has been a very, very, very important part of our growth. And over the time, we've taken some big risks. We went, you know, talked earlier about buying the first mobile showroom. That was a big risk because we didn't have the money. The next big risk was actually committing to having that linen specially woven for us. And then the next really big one was when we decided to stop placing an order every time we got an order and place an order in advance of the getting orders. And for a small business, that was a really, 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 really big thing to do. And um, it completely, I mean, essentially our sales doubled almost within a month as a result of doing that. And because suddenly here was a customer able to get a visit from a mobile showroom, not having to leave their home to go to a store, and us actually being able to get it into their homes, sometimes within hours, usually within a week or two, rather than months. And you know, what a transformational thing that was.
0: Well, so that ties in perfectly. Alex, with what your company is all about and your mindset when you started this company. So take us back to the beginning for you and and what was going on with, with you. You, you. You shared with me recently uh, the, the reference to the, to the artist's way and- Yeah, and, yeah,
2: absolutely. Right? So I'd gone through a fairly major period of loss in my life. Um, I had lost a business that I'd been running for 10 years. And uh, I lost my marriage of 17 years. And I went through a pretty dark period of my life for a couple of years. And those times of loss can be amazing times of reflection. And one of the things that I um, did during that time was read The Artist's Way, an amazing book. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it, and hopefully quite a lot of people have read parts of it. But for those of you that have, Um, you'll know about this section in it called Morning Pages. And for those of you that haven't, read it because it's amazing. Read it. Yeah, Yeah. read it. Um, And so this idea of Morning Pages is every morning, you start the morning by essentially journaling. You write down what's in your head, and you do it in the knowledge that no one is ever going to read it. And uh, one day, in a fairly dark state of mind, I basically did a Morning Pages, which was, okay, now let's look to the future. And it started with the lines, uh, sit for a minute. And this thing of sitting for a minute, sit and think about what it is that you've become, what is becoming to you, uh, what it is that you've chosen, and why you have chosen these things. And what about choosing again, this notion of, realizing that everything that happened to me, instead of the world happening to me, that had happened within the world, you know, that in some ways, all of this stuff that had happened, I had chosen at some level. And this writing essentially challenged me to choose again. And what would happen if I chose to do something that I loved doing in the way that I loved doing it with the people that I loved? And that, honestly, is how Maker & began. And because I'd had a background initially as a cabinet maker, very rapidly got into retail, did that for a, quite a long while, um, ended up working with Felix's grandfather in a pretty major way at a very important time in his career and also mine, and then starting a branding agency and then starting a digital agency, I decided what I wanted to do was to pick the best of all of those worlds and create a company that combined literally everything that i loved so that's the foundation of it
0: so you mentioned you mentioned felix's grandfather and we should explain for listeners who felix's grandfather was yeah (laughs) and 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 the important role that he that he played obviously in in both of your
2: your lives yes well i'll start about and uh so felix's grandfather was um the extraordinary sir terence conrad uh who for some people in many ways invented what people now understand to be the concept of design. Now obviously he didn't invent design, but inventing the way that people experienced well designed things and fundamentally changed the face of retail in the UK. I'm reading a book at the moment about him, um, which is in some ways quite an extraordinary thing to do because of course I know his life so incredibly well. Believe it or not, Terence was the first person ever to bring an espresso machine to the UK. It was the first ever espresso (laughs) machine in the UK, was brought by him in a car from Italy, and he installed that in his first ever venture, which was a soup kitchen. And that was in 1954, I think it was, or 1955. So he he invented Habitat, and uh, that you know revolutionised retail in the UK. And then when I first met Terence, he had 35,000 people working for him, uh, and he felt that he'd lost touch with the design of products in his own stores, and plucked me and two others out of college, and said. You can come and work for me, but you know the upside is you're going to get to spend time with me. The downside is you're going to be working seven days a week. I I don't think that would be legal anymore, but
0: <laughs> I, yeah, it, I don't <laughs> I don't think that would be a
2: good job interview today. <laughs> I just don't, don't want but to the, lead with that. In the uh, in the in the 1980s, you know that for what I was at the time, a 20 year old young furniture designer and maker, that seemed like like the best offer you could possibly ever have, and so there okay. began my love affair with with retail, you know, I, I became completely hooked on retail as a result of him. Um, and then quite a few years later, he introduced me to his daughter at the opening of a restaurant. And this is when Felix can take over the story.
1: Yes, <laughs> I yes. don't know if I want to take her from the point of you guys meeting Me <laughs> Yes, I don't know how to talk about my mother in
0: this context, but. <laughs>
1: I don't think any more needs to be said on quite, what happens next? But she moved over to Australia.
2: I was running a chain of retail stores in Australia at the time.
1: Yeah, and uh, then, I mean, there's quite a funny way of telling this story of Terence wanting Alex to come and to come and work for him, and Alex being like, "No, I like my life in Australia. Just, <laughs> I'm just quite happy here." And it's no, no, come over to the UK. I, I'm going to introduce you to the lady you're going to marry. And anyway, so it's <laughs> a true connection. story to, to, to say Is that right? Yeah, it really is, yeah. And uh, like, that sounds like a good reason to go to the UK. <laughs> and then over, she came over to Australia. And then within a couple of years, uh, I was born. And she said, right, now I've got this, this child. Um, I need to move back to the UK. And Terence goes, oh, right, now we've got Alex. <laughs> <laughs>
0: My master plan <laughs> has
1: worked. Yes. So then then you took on the position of running the Conran Group.
2: Yeah. And An incredibly, incredibly exciting time for those of of, of or listeners that know a little bit about that time. You know, the, the Conran shop was really on a global stage, you know, one of the leading home stores. You know, there were a few very special ones around the world and the Conran shop was most definitely one of them. And it's a bit difficult to describe that time, really, but um, the brand was a very dominant force. Um, So much so that the design team that I also ran ended up being commissioned to do design work for lots of other brands. So, you know, we we designed the interior of Concorde. I mean, imagine that as a commission. That honestly, someone from British Airways rang us up and said, we would very much like it if you would consider to design the interior of concord <laughs> and then, of course we said yeah like, we'll, we'll think we'll give that some consideration yeah, right, <laughs> we're pretty busy but we'll we'll get back to you uh, and so we don't. did everything apart from the seats you know the the cutlery the glassware the menus the carpets that yeah that that the whole shebang it, as well as the the lounges um, that was an amazing thing something i'll
0: never forget We're taking a quick break from the show to hear more about Modern Matter. Modern Matter creates heirloom-quality cabinet and furniture hardware. Their trade program was developed in partnership with leading interior designers and is focused on helping you make your next project outstanding and successful with trade-only pricing, a convenient sampling program, and custom manufacturing for large orders. Check out their Instagram handle, Modern Matter Hardware, Or visit modern-matter.com to open a trade account and receive $100 off your first order of $500 or more by using the code TRADE100. That's modern-matter.com. And now, back to the show. Getting back to the very beginning, the classic entrepreneurial model is I couldn't find this in the marketplace, so I had to go and make it myself. Plenty of sofas existed in the marketplace, right? So it wasn't, gee, there don't seem to be any comfortable chairs around. Yeah. But what, so how did you think of the void that you were going to try and fill? How did you think about it?
1: For me, it was about creating something that really put the end user first and the acknowledgement that the products that we released are, they're there for creating memories. It's, they're, they're the instruments of life that you you play memories upon,
2: you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and because of this thing of love being pretty central, you know, it was a pretty natural step to going, well, what's the heart of the home? You know, a really good sofa is the heart of a home. And this is going to sound pretty crazy, but it really is how I happen to do things. I closed my eyes. I kind of asked myself to, to see what it was going to look like, and bang, there it was. It was this sofa that was essentially a, a group of pillows. What could be more comfortable than lying on a group of pillows? And then this very important bit, which was... Not just being physically comfortable, but being, being mindfully comfortable. How can you be fully comfortable unless you know that the thing that has been made has been made in a sustainable way with natural materials, that it's been made by people that have been paid a fair wage, um, and all of those things that you know embody who we are. And you know I think it'd be fair to say that when we first started, that side of our values, I think people quite liked, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, that's nice. And when we speak to customers and say, oh, you know, and it's made from natural materials and they're sustainably sourced, I would say, I don't know, one or two in 10 would want to engage quite a lot more in that. But most of them, it was like, oh, that's nice. But now, four years later, it's a really important thing for people. So therefore that, that, that fundamental point of the mindful comfort, knowing that what it is that you're sitting on is going to last a lifetime. And it, all of those things that I've just spoken about is a very it's a very key part of um, someone's mindset now. And I think be, because we haven't invented that just to sort of become part of a fad, that it was it's the fundamental part of our brand.
0: Well, you also made the decision early on that it was going to cost what it cost, right? Yes. And in many cases, sort of a bit more than perhaps people might think of your direct competitor, but that was important to you. So tell me about that.
1: But we didn't sit down and decide this is what it's going to cost. We let all of the things that it was decide what it was going to cost. Right. So it's interesting how different, it's almost the upside down approach to a normal product development. It was, how can we source the best, be made by the best, uh, best materials, everything, and then add those up and we arrive, you know. That's one of the other reasons that we, we never did showrooms in the beginning. It's because just didn't want to have to load those costs into the value of the items. so. It was an additive process,
2: and just that—that that is what it is. That's what it is, and and therefore it's going to end up retailing at this. And if people um, like it enough, they'll buy it. And if they don't, well, then at least we tried. Oh. That's that's how we started. And and right. you know, and and the, well, I mean, as you can see, you know, it, it
0: it really did work. It did work, and and it's interesting because often. When I have spoken with manufacturers, particularly in upholstery, in the past, they say, "Oh well, sure, I can get you all these all-natural. I can I can make it with cotton, and I can make it with latex instead of foam, and all. But it's going to cost you so much more money, you know. But but for 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 the two of you, that was that was table stakes. Like it had to be made of those natural materials, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think." what's been so wonderful is i mean we work with some amazing workshops around the world because of course we make part of the sustainability element is when you have these really quite large items and you make a sale in the us you don't want to be shipping that from the uk it's like complete inefficiency so we make local to where we sell and meeting these workshops in other places in the world. And I will remember the experience of meeting the guys in North Carolina to the day I die. I mean, (laughs) like literally, Alex was supposed to go instead of me, but it it was classic, couldn't find his passport. So I, (laughs) I made the first trip out there and we were there, big round table, one of the biggest you know big warehouse but they had their meeting room set up all of these people "Mm, very serious Mm, yes yes okay and then the armchair arrived and everyone just was like a little kid like unwrapping it like 15 people all tearing into the wrapping to get 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 it undone and then each leaping into it oh yeah oh this is nice (laughs) oh yeah and what was so so wonderful about the beginning of that is they had been i mean in north carolina as you know it's it's, it's a total capital of, of making furniture sure, sure and the market had forced them to be producing things that they weren't necessarily proud of making and so by working on the maker and some product it was really everyone that touched it was incredibly proud to have been involved in it and I think that, that that pride is something that we will, like, it, it, that's the essential thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, it really is a joy, you know, the different manufacturers in different places and across the U.S., there will be other manufacturers coming on board. And every time that we go and meet a new manufacturer, you know, there are soon to be six manufacturers in the U.K., we get the same feedback. It's just a joy for them to make something properly. You know, that's, that's, it's, it's really lovely,
0: that, that aspect of it. So they, so they were having to make something for for a particular market or for a particular demand. Oh, almost so they, all of them do. All yeah, of them, yeah. al,
2: almost all of them are making it yeah. in a way that it is is meeting a combination of needs. Of course, you know, everyone has to make a, a mar- make a margin, but invariably, um, a lot of the upholstery market, as I'm sure you 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 know very well, a lot of it is made um, in the the. the in a way that essentially it's going to look good, but inside it's not that good, and in certain cases it's really not that good, but it looks fine from the outside, and it's all about getting it out at a certain price, at a certain margin for a look, for a look, and moving units. And you know, coming back to the sustainability piece, our look was never about coming up with a uh, something that we felt was. Um, stylish. stylish or, or you know, of the moment, our look really came from its function to be really super comfortable. And one of the things that I often talk about uh, when, it, when it comes to this is how can a brand that stands for sustainability have any sense of fashion anywhere near it? You know, if you're coming to Maker & Son because you want something fundamentally fashionable, then we're not the right brand, unless what you consider to be fashionable is being buying something that's sustainable. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not about coming up with the latest shape. We're coming up with something that is going to continue to be relevant um, and useful uh, for a lifetime. And I, I do think, you know, that's a, that's a fundamental difference with
0: us as a company. What I'm struck by with the look of of your and I and and I was thinking about this as I was looking through the the lovely uh, magazine yeah. uh, that I was fortunate enough to to have is uh, the much maligned cloud sofa yeah. uh, from our from our friends at RH right which yeah. I which people love to 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 beat up on and I'm uh, captain of that uh, team uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, that that takes swings at it but in so many ways it's this well known look and and shape. Uh, but as uh, but as those that know know, it's um, it's sort of the antithesis of a of a well made uh, well constructed uh, piece, and uh, it's the opposite of sustainable. In that, uh, yeah. have that for about six months and uh, and call us and tell us how it's how it's looking is what I always say. To uh, to people and not to not to get into that uh, war with uh, with that major uh, retailer, but it's interesting because what I'm curious about is, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time we spoke. I want this message of sustainability and quality to really resonate with people, and I feel as though if people understood better how so many of the things that they perceive to be high end quality uh were were made versus your construction for example they would be willing to step up to this different sort of price level and they would and they would appreciate more what you're all about
2: It, it it is a it's an interesting situation this because a lot of people would have absolutely no idea that the the piece that they might be making a comparison with whatever that might be is made you know with softwood flat frame that's stapled or i mean what do most people care about that um, or that you know the foam is polyether foam and it's you know extremely carcinogenic or what what you know any of these sorts of things and I think as a brand like ours I don't think it's very becoming for us to talk about what we're not and what the others are I think we should just talk about what we are and I think that time In in time, people start to learn more about that. Um, But it is is something that does, um, I would say, on a fairly regular basis, come up as to whether or not we should point out uh, more specifically what it is that the others might be doing in order to achieve a similar looking thing. Equipped with the right questions, you
1: can make the decision on your own. Ask us anything and we'll tell you the answers. And I can't say that that would be the same for a lot of our competitors you know there there are certain things that they really want to hide and there's nothing
2: that we want to hide our belief is if you keep producing things that are well made that are really comfortable to sit in um, or or now with our beds um to sleep on or whatever keep the quality up that you know there's always going to be people that are going to love that and they're going to love you for it and if there's someone else that does exactly the same thing well, you yeah, know, good on them. I mean, as long as they don't copy us directly, of which there are many people that are now doing that.
0: Is that right? Do you feel a lot of people are copying you?
2: Yeah, we did. And, okay. and, and a, a very major retailer in the UK, a very, very major retailer in the UK, uh, brought out an exact copy. I mean, in terms of, I say exact, it there was absolutely no question that it was. And um, do you know what? I, I just took the decision to write a very polite note to the group CEO. I mean, this is a multi-billion operation. (laughs) And um, I wrote a note to the CEO and I explained what our story was. And uh, do you know, in a very, very gracious way, he wrote back and he said that he'd remove it from their line. And it meant a lot to me that he had done that. And I think it meant a lot to him that I had approached it in the way that I did rather than sending him a cease and desist. Yeah, Um, appeal to humanity. uh, Yes. Exactly.
0: Did you tell him that it was going to be taking bread from your son's mouth? I mean, was that how you, how you, how you describe it? <laughs> this is a family business and you're, um, you're literally depriving my, my son. Yes, I did say that it was a
2: family yeah. business. And, and look, we're tiny and you're massive and surely right. you've got the, the funds to invest in uh, in your own product ideas and your own product development. Yes. And yeah. It's
1: funny, we, we also had an
2: example of uh, someone coming and we were
1: again I won't say the name of the the retailer but they they went to one of our workshops with a photo of our sofa and just said I want this and I (laughs) I do not think they realized at the time that they were making for us and they just said uh no (laughs) you couldn't you
2: couldn't get that for the price that you wanted but I I think ultimately if everyone ends up producing stuff from natural materials and I'm all for it. Yeah, change
1: the way they're doing things. But that—that that, you know—that—that that comes back to my to my initial intent with the business, which is to to be the ones that create an expectation from customers to, inc- you know, to make it better for everyone, make it better for the consumers, make it better for the planet. Yeah, exactly.
0: We're taking a quick break from the show to hear more about High Point Market. When you're looking for fresh ideas, look to the home industry's center of innovation. At High Point Market, you'll see the latest and the best in the world of design, from revolutionary new materials and inspiring new styles to proven techniques for growing and managing your business. Get ahead of the innovation curve at the place where the industry meets to reimagine home. This spring, market is April 2nd through the 6th. Get your pass today at highpointmarket.org. And now back to the show. We should talk about your your marketing and, and your 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 strategy there because you, you, you have been so successful in in, a, in attracting an audience, and I know you're very focused on that, and that's another part of your background. Tell me about the investments that you've made there. I think you you told me that one of your you've got PhDs and artificial intelligence experts and, right? And I mean, yeah,
2: yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about that. So, yeah. we, we often describe there being four core pillars of our brand. So, the people, I guess, obviously, mm. I, I'd like to think that was obvious, uh, the brand itself, the product, and then the data and tech. And so, in, in so many ways, there is this extraordinary contrast between the product that we make, being made in largely incredibly traditional way, you know, our sofas. There's not that much about the way our sofas are made that is not is, is different from the way that they would have been made a hundred years ago, really. Mm. And yet, the way that we market is, you know, as sophisticated as it as it can be, really. So it, it begins with this whole point of creating engaging content that, yeah, you know, emotionally engages with the audience and we've created this very simple device that um, some people describe as iconic to the brand now, which are these slowed down videos of people jumping onto a sofa. And accompanied by that is usually a beautiful scene. You know, the sofa's usually in a beautiful place, either beautiful interior or, or outside, and some really beautiful piece of music. And so the marketing uses that, if I can put it that way, it leverages that, the music with the visual, and it helps you imagine what it's like to be peaceful. It helps you to imagine what it's like to you know, be uh, comfortable. And um, it's obviously not just those, but they have been hugely successful. And um, I'm amazed to say that in the last 12 months, in aggregate, we've had 200,000 hours watched of our videos. I mean, it's just astonishing, really. 200,000 hours. So on average, it's about 5 million views of our videos every month. Because yes. each video is is, is
1: is less than a minute long. Yeah, yeah, less than right. a minute long. So and that's, that's an amazing... Do the math. <laughs>
2: it's <laughs> yeah. a lot of views. It's a lot of views. Anyway, yeah. so, so it, it's... That, 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 um, that the marketing, coming back to the focus, it's very focused. We focus predominantly on Instagram as the main platform at the beginning. Um, it's not just Instagram now, but it is predominantly Instagram. And, um, we have found a formula of getting, on average, a 10 times return on our advertising investment in terms of revenue. So every thousand dollars that we invest. We're getting ten thousand dollars in gross revenue.
0: So what what else besides Instagram is showing good traction for you? That that's interesting. That's
2: interesting. Uh well it's a combination of a whole lot of things. It's it's honestly I could do a whole podcast and more on the whole marketing <laughs> strategy. It it's <laughs> and, and it's some of it's so I well
0: and some I'll, of it I'll come know, is,
2: it some of it is very um very secret. It's kind of quite kind of secret scroll, oh,
0: Yeah, I, see. I see. Well, just okay. in terms
2: of in terms right. of the strategy behind it, because yeah. there's a significant amount of the IP that we hold it is in how we do that, and it's just right. engaging with people in this way and bringing them through the funnel, and then you know once that once the lead has been generated, it goes into our CRM. But before it goes into our CRM, it goes through a scoring engine. And that scoring engine has indeed been developed by our head of um, data. And he does have a PhD in artificial intelligence and is an extremely, extremely, extremely clever guy. And our two lead people in, in analytics actually, interestingly enough, have come from the finance world, creating very sophisticated credit risk scoring models. And what they're doing for us is creating sophisticated scoring models, so our sales team learn how to prioritize the thousands of leads that come through. So, and the reason I know this data is because it was presented to us last week. We had seventy three thousand leads come through um, into the business, and uh, so that's a lot of leads. And so you've got to have some you've got to have some method of prioritizing because, for sure, we don't have enough salespeople to engage fully with every single one of those so that whole journey from the initial spend the creation of the content what content are you going to create what format is that going to go into what platform what audience uh how much money are you going to put behind that how long are you going to let it run until it starts getting traction uh when do you stop the spend because the cost of acquisition is going too high yeah all of that and so there's, there's now a team of 10 people that all they do is manage the trafficking of that digital media. It's a very sophisticated thing, and um, I'm very proud of what we've built within that. And it is, it is most definitely the area of IP, apart from the product itself, that is the most valuable within the business
0: well it, it sounds extraordinary and 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 no wonder you feel like you have this opportunity to expand into to all sorts of other areas and and, and, and markets with that with that much data be, behind it well so so let's talk quickly about the about the new york the manhattan space and, yeah, you, yeah. and you and and you, you opened a, a space sort of pre covid if i recall right yes totally so so i
1: opened a space down in tribeca on white street right pre pandemic and then very quickly, as things were getting started,
2: COVID hit, and I- And we were doing very well pre-COVID. I mean, yeah, it, it grew so quickly. We were thrilled. Um, but then of course, you know, it, it happened. And I had to leave. Team couldn't come in.
1: And, and basically, what's, what's the term? Well, we We'd off-balled it, really. Off-balled it. Yeah, there you go. And one of the first things that we that we've done is decide that white street wasn't the right location and we've got we've we've signed this lease on 10th street 10th and broadway and it is three floors of a space for all kinds of lovely objects to live
2: it feels very much like a home <laughs>
1: it and, does, so, yeah.
2: uh, and you know we're we're still relatively small i mean yes you know we've done very well but we do have to be very careful uh, you know, we do things incrementally, you know, we are not some major mega brand that can go and put hundreds of thousands of dollars into a showroom. Um, and so, you know, how we open, you know, we are open there, you know, how, how we are at the beginning and how we're going to be in six months from now and how we'll be from 12 months time, you know, it's going to grow. We're going to grow literally into the space, um, but we're going to do that um, as we can afford to do it um and the, the range of furniture that we have there is great but we, we're going to just add pieces to that and crucially add the accessory pieces as they come so yeah it's not going to be any great surprise to you that um you know the very easy things for us to start adding to the range will be you know uh, scatter cushions and other thing, other associated things like throws etc that just you know, add you know richness add color add texture yeah, all of those things to come.
0: What I'm curious about with the New York space is uh, so designers are going to want to come and see you, right? Interior no. designers. Let's let's talk about them and the huge role that they play in uh, in, in specifying furniture, particularly in the in the US, uh, and and particularly at your price point. That is that is right in their in their range. I'm wondering how you have been thinking about that of of late. I,
1: I have been thinking an enormous amount about it <laughs> of
0: Felix thinks of little else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Literally. It's true. He's been very focused. Over, yeah. over the course of, I'd say, the last two weeks, I've been doing little else other than thinking about how we take on this,
2: seize this opportunity. But for us, the interior designer and the interior decorator market is hugely important we really do care about it and um, we realize that we've got a lot to learn and understand and we really do welcome inquiries from um that sector and we will do whatever we can to work with them uh, in order to build a a long-lasting relationship and i i'm I'm very proud of the fact that our australian team you know our, our australian business is actually very strong indeed Uh, our Australian team have built very good relationships with the interior design um, sector. And and it equates for, you know, about 20 to 25% of our business there. And it's really wonderful, of course, that, you know, when a designer starts working with us, they invariably just keep coming back, you know, because their customers had a really great experience. In most cases, that journey with the interior designer actually starts with their client asking for maker and son as part of the scheme because they've seen it and they, then they will speak to them about it. So that's where the demand often begins.
1: Yeah, but I, I look, I am so keen to establish those relationships directly and to be a part of the conversation that's going on in that, sphere and for us to become not just well-known as a creator of great products but as a provider of a brilliant service
0: i'm curious you mentioned that you've had such success in australia with with the interior design community is there the same expectation in australia of, a, of some kind of a price discount for interior designers or do they work in a, in a different compensation model
2: there, there is the price discount that 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 is expected, and the price discount that that we've been able to afford in Australia, has been has been something that's been worked through. I think in a very positive way, you know, because of the way that we created the product, as we we've explained, the margin that we have is not that huge, and when you, when you explain that um, to interior designers, they do understand. You know, like it's it's this whole thing of just being sure. completely completely transparent so of course we're prepared to share that to a point that it's going to work for them and it's going to work for us but you know someone has an expectation that we're going to halve the price you know that would never happen because that 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 would be buying it for less than we buy it for yeah so yeah yeah, it's 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 about it's about explaining the model uh, and working with them. And we are we are seeing quite an interesting shift. I don't know whether this is something you're seeing too, but it seems to us that the whole interior design uh, market does seem to be shifting more transparently towards their pricing. And it appears that quite a lot of them are moving towards uh, an hourly rate and then um, uh, complete transparency as to what the buy price is and sharing that that uh, in a way. Um, Now, uh, to what extent that's um, fully happened within uh, the the U.S., I don't know, but it's very much gaining momentum in Australia and, and in the U.K.,
0: well and, and that's and that's interesting and and as we talked about earlier often th- the challenge with a direct to consumer brand is that there isn't that extra margin in there to 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 create a, a discount structure and as you say I- in this country too there there certainly is a lot of movement towards an hourly uh, many companies particularly the larger design firms uh, w- will just have a standard uh, uh, additional uh, percentage that they'll put on for procuring any product whether it's the sofa or buying a lamp they'll just say anything that we buy we're, we're just going to add a, a, a procurement fee onto and and that's yeah. just part of it. R- rather than looking to a discount we're just going to tell you yeah. exactly how much the sofa was and we're just going to add 30% or whatever it is yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and and so i think that there there are plenty of ways a- around that i think the the other the other issues of what do interior designers want in terms of the ability to customize, in terms of the range of COM and and COL yeah. materials and, and and all of that um, is, is much more, I think, going to be the area of, of, of focus.
1: But also the, the fact that we can offer services that no one else can. There, there is no designer schlepping... Their customer to the arse end of nowhere for a visit to a to a warehouse to see something. Hmm. You know, we've got the facility to bring it either to their offices or to their customers' homes. Maybe, maybe you can say that slightly more polite way. <laughs> uh, there is no, no. I think I think we understood. <laughs> <laughs> it's the so yeah. that's that's one but you know right. The, right the level of service that that we can provide as a company it, it goes beyond what are what, what other people can so there there is there is value in us being able to conduct a showroom visit out to the customer's homes or the interior designer's office there is there is value in the fact that we produce floor plans as standard so if the designer wants to quickly have six of their schemes work through and just want a a second opinion on what might work. We can do that. We offer color advice. We've got the most amazing range of beautiful fabrics. Yeah, not that they'll need the color advice, obviously. But, but, you know, some people do, and it's there if they want it. So there's a, a wealth of information that we have that we are willing to share with those interior designers so that they can get the best out of the furniture and the best out of the conversation with the customer. because. What benefits us and them is having them fully equipped to be essentially salespeople in their own right. Our salespeople, our team, a member of our family, and that—that's—that's that's what I'm looking to build with with the trade.
0: Well, and and as we were talking a little bit about earlier, I I I feel very strongly that if you can crack the code on the more localized manufacturing, I know in the U.S. it's. Coming out of North Carolina right now, and you're hoping to find other other partners in other parts of this of this vast country. Uh, and and I think that will be that will be very meaningful to yep. consu- consumers and designers alike. But I also think that the ability for you mentioned about the the now collection. Yeah, um, it's if, trans- if fancy. You can, if you can get sofas to people quickly wow are you going to be the heroes of the moment so yes and and (laughs)
1: and so being open and honest and providing real data like we have these dashboards we know what's in production we know what lead time's are, that we tell those to customers on a buy and buy basis but by having a trade program where by sign up and by you be becoming one of our partners, you have full visibility to all our production. You know, I'm not interested in you know secondhand information. You know, I want you to be able to service yourself and come direct, and it is there. That's where I want to get to. is is, is a full transparency about what we have in stock at what location, so that you know that you could rely on a super quick turnaround, or how long things have taken to move through production currently and where they're going to be produced. Literally, who's going to be making it? What are the hands that are going to touch this? Uh, what delivery, where, what stage in delivery is you know, moving through the country? So there's a full visibility all the way through before it's being made and after it's being delivered.
0: Well, and this incredible rate at which you've been growing and, and and this incredible boom that the home industry is, is has had over these past few years, how are you imagining that lasting going forward? How are you thinking about your, your own rate of rate of growth and 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 whether yeah. things might just slow down a little bit in the coming year?
2: Yeah, so I mean, in terms of this this next year, we are going to stick with the territories that we're in. We're going to continue our growth in the U.S., we are going to continue our growth in the U.K., in New Zealand and Australia and in Ireland. And then in 2023 and beyond, our plan most definitely is to move into other territories. So we have a plan, we have a list. and uh, <laughs> We're checking it twice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, in, and in time, you know, we'll, um, we'll be there.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, it sounds it sounds like a, it sounds like an aggressive plan for the for the future. So, so well, i do not about imagining. aggressive. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> a, a confident plan. I think it's a it's a confident plan, right? A, a, confident, a confident plan,
2: very much based yes. on data. Yeah, very, very, very data focused.
0: Which I would love. I w- if you tell me that you're going to stay data focused and that's what's going to drive these decisions, then then I then I feel much better about all of the other potential markets that you get into. So yeah. it's good.
2: hundred, a hundred thousand percent. It's, it's, okay. it's one of the pillars. Yeah. and one of the things that I would say that is extremely important about digital advertising mm-hmm. is one's ability to understand the, the market before you've gone there is really quite advanced. So in the old world, You'd have to go and set up a showroom or open some stores, invest you know X amount of million um, in in the whole infrastructure, and then you know only to realise hold your breath, <laughs> hold your breath and see whether it's going to work. And you know, I I actually have direct experience of that because um, in the nineties at Conran we we opened a store in Hamburg, where we were asked to be the centre of this very upmarket shopping. Uh, design led facility know, yeah, basically of just a whole load of design stores and we were seen as the anchor tenant and we put a lot of energy into that and it completely flopped just did not work and you know when you've when you've gone through some of those experiences you you you, you know you, you don't want to go through them again and um, with digital advertising by going out there with the advertising and testing the market you get you really do because the metrics from one country to the next are very, very similar. The the key things of what's the engagement, what happens with this, what happens with that, you can tell with surprising accuracy what the likelihood is of of the brand's overall acceptance within that market. So, yeah, it's going to be very, very data focused, I can tell you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that, that really was my initial litmus test. of of going out to New York and and meeting all of those people with Mm -hmm. with an armchair and no way to get it to them was we had all of these inquiries of people that were loving what we were doing and it was a a very open very exploratory phase and just showing people and going, well, what do you think? And I love it and you have to hear I love it enough times for you to realise that yes, this is worth pursuing
0: yeah well you've been very very lucky in that in that regard i mean it, it seems like people have have really responded to your messaging to your product and to the to the values that you've that you've put forward so um it's it's it seems like an, an exciting time for for both of you i so appreciate you making the time i've, I've taken way more of your your time than than i had intended but i i so appreciate it it's a it's a it's a thrill and, and a pleasure so thank you thank you thank you very much indeed thanks for listening If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, visit us online at businessofhome.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, browse job listings, and join our BOH Insider community for access to online workshops, a free print subscription, and much more. If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to discover the show. This show was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.